come to you this morning, Lord, and we do thank you for the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus that sets us free, the blood of Jesus that paid the price, that Jesus, you've forgiven us and you've redeemed us and you've healed us, Lord. Oh, and you've set our feet upon the rock, Lord, and how we love you, Lord, and we confess our love before you this morning. Oh, we love you, Lord, and we say, come and have your way, Lord. Come and have your way in our hearts and have your way in our lives, Lord. Oh, we love you, Lord. Speak through, Pastor uh, Joe, this morning, Lord. Let the word of the Lord be in his mouth, Lord. Give us ears to hear it and hearts to receive it. Oh, we love you, Lord. Come and have your way, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Again, God bless you for being here having church amen amen well i'm going to try to repeat what i did this morning i've i've introduced joe many times and i never feel like i can completely uh, ever hit it he's uh, been such a blessing i have said if this is your first time here just bear with me just a moment joe has been such a big part of helping us through times that we needed help of being here for us when we need him of always having the appropriate word uh, for our church when he comes and speaks, for always taking his time um, after service to spend with me or my staff or any need that we've ever had. And uh, we had kind of a, a mess up to happen our, on our end. Uh, last month, Miss Bobby and I were looking at our calendar, and I just happened to say, when is Joe coming? Because it's time. It's usually July, August. It's usually August. And she made a phone call, and she said, Pastor, we didn't get him booked. And I said, call him, find out what we can do. And she said, we can't get him until, I think, December. And I said, that's that's not going to work. If you all know me, I, I I can take so much, but then when the rubber hits the road, we've, we've got we to have what we got to have. I don't, the more you hang around with me, you'll know I'm pretty stubborn when it comes to when I got, get my heart set on what I want, we're going to figure out a way to get it. Um, I hope. I hope that comes out the right way. But anyway, we're going to get it. So I didn't even tell Miss Bobby, but I picked up the phone and called Joe's cell phone. He immediately answered, and I'm like, Joe, what has happened? What what have we done? He said, Pastor, we were just sitting at last a couple weeks ago in the last staff meeting saying, am I not going to Cookville? And he said, no, they don't have you booked. And I said, uh, Joe, coming in December is not going to work. He said, Pastor, you talked about bringing me in for a little uh, – like a three-day seminar type thing. I said, yeah, that's all well and good, but I need you on Sunday. I need you here speaking to my church. I need you here where, there, where there's going to be an offering. You don't take up much of an offering at a conference. You hear me? I need you here on Sunday. We want to be a blessing to you, but really I want you to bless us, and I need you here. He said, Pastor, I don't know what we're going to do. I said, well, I hate to say this, but I'm, if I have to, I'm going to pray that somebody cancels on you said, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to take away from your ministry, but I need you here. And I said, I don't know what we're going to do. He said, Pastor, we'll work something out. I said, okay, and hung up the phone. The next day, his office called, and we had him scheduled like three or four weeks later. And Miss Bobby, I said, what happened? Miss Bobby goes, prayer. I said, Miss Bobby, it wasn't prayer. I called him yesterday. I said, it was prayer, but I don't know what happened. But Joe has made a way for, to find a way here. And that's just the kind of man and the kind of man of God that he is, that he makes a way for us. And he's done it 
every, at every turn, at every turn. Um, and I just, uh, I would encourage you, listen to him. He's got a lot of new material here. He is a phenomenal teacher on finances, on marriage, on parenting, on, uh, he's got a, he's got a, a, a CD series and a, probably a DVD on the eight things that every, no kid should leave home without. Um, I will just tell you, he has impacted myself and my wife and our church greatly. And that's not all I'm going to say about him. I'm going to say something else about him when, when he finishes today. But um, I just, if you would, everybody please welcome Brother Joe McGee. Also this morning we have Miss Denise. His wife is here this morning, and we're so glad to have you. And, you, and your daughter, um, Corey, is also here, plus a, the rest of a part of his team here trying to do some things for his uh, media. And we're just so glad to have your whole team here. Bless you. God bless Tennessee. Amen. And everybody said, unless you're from Alabama, you ought to say amen. Amen. Good to be here this morning. Um, Good to have Denise with me. Corey's here, my third daughter, my journalism major. We've got some people uh, taking some pictures. One of the things that um, I'm excited about you going to two services, making room, uh, you know, increase is always good in God's eyes. God likes to increase. And the order brings increase, so you're making room for more. And uh, I know how we've been in churches, our home church, when we split services, it's like it was packed, everybody's excited, then we're going to split. Like, yeah, man, it looks empty now. Let's get about, well, there's a no, if you don't, I'm sure pastors told you there's a law and you're 80% full new people coming in don't like that. It's too packed and too tight. So you have to make room for growth. So I'm proud of what you're doing. You're already starting to grow again. There's people that need to be reached. This isn't our own private club and uh, you're making room for that. So thank you for what you're doing. Before I get started this morning, we're going to talk on family things. I've got some things out on the uh, resource table. We've got three new seminars out there. I just want to mention briefly. I think we're about out of this one, but I'm going to hold it up. We've got a couple left called Making Sense of the Last Days. Now, this all is a result of being a father. Uh, uh, you know, one of the things you're doing, you're trying to launch the next generation. You're not just trying to get them to leave. I've had parents yell, I'll be glad when you're out of here. Well, don't say that because they'll, they'll come back and bring friends. <laughs> you want to launch them so they stay launched, and that is the whole idea. There's an old saying that marriage is forever. Children are passing through. The most important relationship is your marriage. Uh, children, again, you're trying to launch them out so they start their own family. But one of the things you're dealing with that is that they're asking questions. And uh, when they're young, you know, you, you can take care of their needs with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a box of Legos. As they get older, the questions get harder. Relationship questions, money questions, eternity questions, job questions, friend questions. And all of a sudden you realize if you're not growing in God, you're going to run out of answers eventually. And I've done that as a father. Where, what am I going to do? I don't know, but I'll get back with you. Let me find out. And so... Having a lot of children will not make you holy and famous, I've said. It can make you insane and broke if you don't know what to do with them. But having a lot of children will make you very wise and very rich if you're pulling on God because you don't have any option. Because they're expensive and you need a lot more information than you just need for yourself. So one of the things last year was about last day living. We're here. You can't deny that. Uh, that is a very good thing. And so I wanted my family to know that. I've got six kids and... Uh, uh, Three of them are out on their own. And, of course, you know, coming back last year with the economy thing kind of rolling around. Dad, what's going on? We're laying off, cutting back. I said, well, it's just temporary. You know, the world's always moving and rocking. I said, this is a great opportunity. This is a good year to start a business, a good year to get married and have a baby, raise a family. There's never been a better time because in the last days, 
God's pouring out his spit on all flesh. Our sons and daughters are prophesying. We're dreaming dreams, having visions. God's turned the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. Uh, there's been a great outpouring on this planet. You won't hear it on the evening news because bad news doesn't sell. But if you want to go to your public library or Google it, you can find out what is going on in the world. And uh, a couple of natural things, uh, National Public Radio had a couple of guys that write for The Economist magazine who'd written a book on China were making a comment how that by the year 2050, the largest church in the world will be in China because the underground church is exploding over there. They estimate the church will be somewhere around 200 million strong. And so a nation that doesn't believe in God, doesn't allow a whole lot of Christianity, is going to have the largest church in the world because God said that Jesus is the head of the church and God does a good job and there is no opposition that can stop him. Uh, the uh, front page of USA Today, a few weeks after that uh, radio broadcast in USA Today, which is a secular newspaper, had a front page article about one city in Iraq being rebuilt here in a Muslim country. And one of the greatest concerns, according to the article, was there were 82,000 Christians in that town. That there are 82,000 Christians in one large city in Iraq. That Jesus is the head of the church. There are Christians everywhere, even in Muslim nations. God's doing a great job. They just don't put it on the news. Barna, who gives the most conservative number, says he estimates that 80,000 people a day are being saved. The Bible says that knowledge will, the knowledge of the Lord will cover the face of the earth in the last days. Uh, it talked about the fact that there is a one-world economy coming in Romans or Revelation 13, but Luke 17, 26, Jesus said until he comes to get us in the rapture, there will be seed time and harvest. People eat, drink, marry, giving in marriage, buy, sell, build, and plant. Jesus said in the New Living Translation, it will be business as usual till I come get you. There will always be an economy, people. I don't care what they're talking about. They tried to scare us with stock market stuff and collapse stuff and failure stuff for the last 50 years. It's, listen, I don't know if you know this. This is in your public library. There are more first-time millionaires in America last year than in the history of our country. Did you know that? Somebody's making a lot of money. There are also more first-time bankruptcies last year than in the history of America. There are two lines. Make sure you get in the right one. In the last days, it says this is sheep and goat time, wheat and tare, righteous and unrighteous, God and ungodly. I set before you life and death, God said in Deuteronomy. Choose. I set before you blessing and cursing. Choose. Every day you and I make choices. And so if you don't know the word of God, the devil has one weapon. He is a liar, John 8, 44. He lies. You're not going to make it. You're going to go under. You'll never be able to afford to retire. You're going to get sick. You won't get health care. Your kids will never find a job. They're not going to get off drugs. You know, your wife's never going to love. Your husband's never going to do what's right. He's a liar. God is a redeemer of a lost generation. Jesus died for sinners. Jesus didn't die for good people. There are no good people. Jesus died for lying, fornicating, murdering, backstabbing sinners, of which we all are qualified. There is no judgment being poured out on this planet. God sent Jesus to the cross to get the dog snot beat out of him, nails driven through his hands and feet, thorns shoved into his scalp, hair ripped out of his face, to die going to hell for three days, preach the captives, raise him from the dead, sit him at the right hand of the Father, not to get halfway through this journey, get mad and start killing everybody off early. God's not killing anybody. There is no judgment falling on anyone. Sin's been judged. You sin, nasty will happen. 
Because sin, it's in the Bible in Romans, sin's been judged. Not sinners, Jesus died for sinners. God's trying to say sinners. God's got the gospel up to sinners, not good people. God's not trying to be good to good people. There are no good people. Romans 8 says God draws the unbeliever, a sinner, out of his goodness. You know what convicts people and wants them to get saved? The goodness of God. Not tragedy, not lightning bolts, not car wrecks, not early death. That's the devil. He steals, kills, and destroys. And so if you don't understand what's going on, you'll stay mad at God. You'll stay mad at the government. You'll stay mad at your boss, mad at your spouse. The devil wants to get mad at somebody except him. He's the problem. Flesh is not our problem. It can make you come out of the ground, but it's not your problem. So in the last days, these are great opportunities. There are signs of the end times. Jesus told what they were from earthquakes to famines. He said, don't panic. The end is not yet. You will be the head of not the tail above and not beneath everything you set your hand to. Prophets, there'll be plenty of children and plenty to feed them. There'll be divine protection. Psalms 91, there are angels so many you cannot count that'll count around about you. No evil will come near you or near your dwelling. <laughs> Psalms 5, this is just an introduction. Psalm 512, God said, I'll surround the righteous with the shield of divine favor. People are going to like you and not even know why. Your boss is going to like you and not even know why. Your employees going to like you and they won't even know why. I don't know why I like you, but I do. It's the Spirit of God. I have a shield of divine favor. You can't help it. <laughs> what you don't know that God has given, you won't believe for, and you won't practice. You'll just stay mad. And so I did this mainly for my kids becoming adults. This is a great opportunity to be alive. Do not draw back. We're not going to buy a bunch of military fatigues and beef jerky and a generator and move over to Arkansas with those nuts living in that commune. <laughs> We're going to do what Psalms 112 says. We're going to have influence and honor. We're going to go build something. We're not just going to get a job. We're going to hire people. We're going to bless people. We're going to help the poor and help the orphans. We're going to have influence in our community. They're going to know our name. When they want to do something, they're going to come ask us what we think. It's in the Bible. But it's in here now. We put this in just so our kids, these are six 30-minute teachers. This is a seminar. We're going to DVD and CD. And it really tells you, you ought to be excited about the last day, not panicking. Don't move off to the mountain. Don't buy your generator. Go join something not some military thing just go be a part of your community because that's god said you're the salt and the light you are the salt and the light go be an answer for a problem don't run from them find a solution for them we're not living in heaven we're living on earth we get to do stuff so this will bless you the other one we have is our new pre-marriage seminar called before saying i do and uh, i tell people i don't care if you've been married five times if you're about to get married again don't get married until you listen to this uh this won't fix anything this will not fix you it just tells you where the landmines are Really? So what are you going to do for me? Keep you from blowing yourself up. You're still a doofus, but you won't be a dead doofus. We talk about the fact that marriage is an incredible thing. It is the second greatest thing God ever did outside salvation. It is a gift from God. He that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Uh, it's better, uh, two are better than one. It's not good for a man to be alone. We go through all the stuff. And then we quote a lot of secular uh, research from Rutgers University, Michigan University, North Carolina University, about how marriage is a blessing. Married people, this is secular now. I, I put secular stuff in here. Married people live longer, are happier, are wealthier, more sane, and according to them, have sex more often. It's a Bible thing. But some people, the devil's lied. I'm not going to get married. I saw the hell my parents went through from the divorce. I'm not getting married, so they cohabitate. We used to call it shacking up, but we've changed that. It's cohabitation now. Sounds better. We're cohabiting. 
Y'all shacking up? No, we're cohabiting. Well, I've got family members. I know what this is. Anyhow, to tell you what the government says, people who cohabit are five times more likely to break up than people who are married. You're not tricking the devil. He hates you worse than he does married people. That's why you got to do what's righteous. You do what's righteous, righteous people are blessed. You get to believe God. So marriage is a great thing. Number two, uh, the second teaching in here is uh, wrong people and wrong reasons. You really shouldn't marry a doofus. Because there's doofuses out there. And the problem is doofuses look good, smell good, sound good, but they're a doofus. They're a good-looking doofus. You don't want to marry them. Somebody who's a great date is not a great spouse. I mean, you want to go on a date? Go ahead, have a good time, eat some pizza, tuck her up, go watch a movie, but don't marry them. Because marriages work. And if they're not willing to work, you're just wasting your time. So we talk about who you should think about marrying. There's a little list here. Then we talk about, you know, job descriptions and expectations. The last thing in here is about the first five years. That's where most marriages break up is in the first five years. And so these are things you get. Realize two worlds are about to come together. And it takes time. You will not become one on your honeymoon. It will take time. It takes a lifetime to become one. If you don't know that, well, I married the wrong person. I married too early. I married too late. Shut up. <laughs> you don't find a great marriage, you build one. The greatest marriage you'll ever have is the one you're in right now. Because every time you get remarried, for those of you who've done it, you know you swap one set of strengths for another set of strengths, one set of weaknesses for another set of weaknesses. Just go ahead and decide to make this one work. Let's build this one. I'm going to make you love me so much you want to suck the lips off my face. <laughs> it might take me a lifetime, but I'm going to start working on it. Right now, we've got to repent and forgive a lot every day because we're two doofuses together. People think, I, I said this in January, people think, I found my soulmate. I said, no, you didn't. Only soulmate you'll ever have Jesus. You just found some flesh. And it's going to go stupid on you. Just not yet, but give it a while. It's going to go stupid on you. Your soulmate will go stupid. That's for somebody. Anyhow. This is the one we're going to talk about today. It's called Ever After. And I really believe in this. And I had uh, one of our board members thank me that I haven't gone goofy in 16 years of ministry because he said, Joe, the one thing I love about you is you stay consistent. You said God told you to teach on family. You've stayed with it. You've not done any gold dust. You don't flop. You don't do anything. You don't teach weird doctrine. You just stay with family. It's amazing. You just stuck it out. So this might look like we've def- we, we broke off a little bit, but it's not Ever After. It's about heaven, hell, and eternity. And I realize about family, uh, coming from big families, uh, uh, Denise's father's 93, talks about heaven a lot. He's lived an incredible life. I love her father as much as I love my own father. And uh, he, he, World War II, ship almost got sunk. He saved a bunch of people. He's, he ran away from home when he was in eighth grade. You know, daddy wasn't the best guy in the world. But, man, he has made it. Her mom, you know, her dad died. Her mom practically raised herself, lived, different, lived in boarding school. So I go into high school. They're incredible people, love God. They're a blessing. Because God's a redeemer of stupidity. Nobody's had a perfect life, people. Nobody. The media is lying to you like somebody's got a silver spoon. Nobody's got a silver spoon. Everybody has flesh. And the devil hates flesh. He hates everybody. So don't ever think somebody got lucky. Nobody's lucky. Everybody's dealing with something. They just haven't told you everything yet. And so what happens, you realize God redeems stupidity and sin. And that's the challenge. And so I realized something. You ought to know where you're going so you can enjoy today. Sometimes not enjoy the day because you're not sure about your future. I was sharing the first service when I went to Fort Campbell, Kentucky for basic training. The first day we got there, they put us in the barracks. We still don't have our hair and our civilian clothes. Uh, we've not got that far, but there's a poster on the wall that the DI showed us. Gentlemen, eight weeks from now, you're going to look like this guy. And I thought, that's not going to happen. Well, it did about kill us, but we got there. Out of 120 guys, 117 pretty much looked like that poster. Three did not. They had to go back through for another eight weeks. 
I remember waving to him from the back of the bus as we were going to uh, uh, Fort Sill, uh, Oklahoma. It's like, we're waving, they're waving. It's so sad. Oh, my God, they got to go through it again. You ought to get it the first time, not two, twice. But anyhow, God paints a picture of where we're going. The devil's a liar. God tells the truth. And so when you're born on this planet, you, the minute you're, well, it's just about, the minute you're conceived, you're going somewhere. Everybody's going to live forever. Everybody lives forever. Everybody. They're just two diverging destinies for people. Now, people say all the time, you travel, you can read. Most of America thinks there is no such place as hell. Hell's not real. A loving God, and he is a loving God, would not send people to hell. Well, if you'll read what Jesus said in Matthew, God did not create hell for mankind. Hell was created for one reason only, for the devil and the fallen angels. That's the only reason hell was created. What's hell for God? For the devil and his fallen angels? They'll burn forever. Do you create hell for mankind? No. I sent my son. I had a plan before I ever made Adam, knowing that he would mess up, to send my son to die for mankind to redeem them. All of their salvation has been paid for. But I won't make them take it. I made man a free will creature. That's why there's choices in our life. God wanted somebody who would willingly choose him. It's like getting married. Ephesians 5, church, Christ, like marriage. I don't want somebody that thinks they have to be with me. I want somebody that wants to be with me. God wanted a man who would want to spend time with him. He had to make us free will creatures. So we make choices every day. Well, now the devil's blinded the minds of men because everybody's born with a sin nature. Everybody's born with a bent to do wrong. There are no good people. Jesus didn't die for good people. Jesus died for messed up sinners because we're all sinners. When Adam sinned, all mankind had a sin nature the day they're born. That's why Jesus had to be born of a virgin because we had no sin nature coming down. God the Father was his father. Mary was his mother, but the sin nature's passed down through the male. And so that's why Jesus was born of a virgin, no sin. And he lived a sinless life. The rest of us, we're going to do wrong. I did not go to school to take lying. I did not take lying in the first grade, stealing in the second grade, you know, backstabbing in the third grade. It was just natural. I didn't go to lying school or stealing school. It's just natural. It's natural to sin. We all have a sin nature. That's why you need to be born again. You need a new heart because your old heart cannot do right. That's why God gave the law to show us that we were doers. We didn't know how bad we were until he gave us the law. When he gave us the law and the Ten Commandments, what did he give them for? To real See, we still, I was just at a big place down in Midland, Texas uh, two days ago, and out in front of the hotel was the largest Ten Commandments I've ever seen in America. In front of this hotel, a Christian-owned hotel. But it's massive. It's like, my goodness, Ten Commandments. I bet Moses' Ten Commandments weren't that big. And it is a holy thing, but the thing is, God gave the Ten Commandments to show that man couldn't keep them. No man ever kept the Ten Commandments. There's never been one person except Jesus. No human has ever kept the Ten Commandments. No human. No human can keep the Ten Commandments. That's why God gave them. God gave the Ten Commandments to show us you can't keep them. You have a sin nature. And I'm going to give them to show you. Not only can you not keep them, you can't save yourself. You need my son. God gave the commandments to show us we needed his son Jesus. We needed to be born again. We can't do this on our own. That's why he gave them. And so you realize, oh my goodness, thank you for the law. That's why Paul said when the law came, sin revived and I died. When did you die, Paul? When I realized I couldn't do what's right. And he wrote in Romans, I'm doing things I shouldn't do and not doing things I should do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me in this body of death? And what he's realizing, I know that my spirit's willing, but my flesh is weak. That's why he said you need to renew your mind with the word of God, Romans 12. It's your soul that's going to make a difference. That's why my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. That's why you need to be in church. You don't get brownie points for going to church. You learn. 
you grow. You get blessed, you be a blessing. We need each other. So anyhow, we were talking about eternity. And you guys, eventually, you know, uh, I was sharing when I was here in January how I gave my kids a file box for Christmas with files in it. And I said, what are you giving this for? I said, because if mom and I die, if Jesus tells we die, you're in charge of what? Your life. You know, you can't come borrow money. We won't be here. You can't borrow my truck. It won't be here. Nothing will be here. You can't call us. We won't answer. We'll be in heaven. You're going to be in charge of Vince. You need to grow up and be in charge of your life. But the, the point was, I realized what I love about coming from a big family, you went to a lot of funerals. Now, mom, dad's sisters, they lived long, late 80s, 90s. One, my aunt Cora lived three months shy of being 100. We got long life. Denise's family, real long life for her genes. But eventually, you die. And you go to the funeral, and look at that. And, of course, they made us touch all those dead bodies. Cause and when I grew up in Ducktown, they brought the casket to the house. You set up with the dead. It's not a science fiction movie. They did it. You know, well, we... When your grandma die, well, we'll bring her down there this evening about 7 o'clock. And you just push the couch out of the way. They roll in the living room. They open the lid. Good Lord, it's a dead person's grandma. And they got her painted up and her lips sewn shut. And she's stiff as a two before. And that'd make you touch them. I could never have been a priest in the Old Testament because I've touched too many dead people. Go tell grandma bye. Go tell Aunt Bessie bye. And they go make over and touch them. You go and like. Man, dead people, they're hard. And then, of course, you got all goofy relatives. They sucked all the blood out of them. What did they do with it? I don't know if they put some stuff in that good like concrete. You know, and I'm not trying to be crude or anything because, you know, people, you miss somebody and close to people cry, kiss them on the forehead. And, of course, the kids would go touch all. I've touched every dead relative that ever died. Bye-bye. Man, that's tough. And, of course, somebody spiritually said, well, they're not here. They're in heaven. That's just their body. Hmm. I remember my Aunt T in mid and low deaths, and I went and did her funeral. This church has a great memory for me because I'm the only preacher in that big family. So if you get married or buried, I'm the doer thereof because I'm free. <laughs> because it doesn't matter if you're Baptist, Methodist, or a heathen, I'll come bury you. And I'll marry you. Well, my Aunt T, she died, and she married to my Uncle Willie. And Uncle Willie, he's a great husband, but he's an alcoholic all his life. But he can make money. But he, he stayed drunk. And so he grew up poor, so he wanted a country store. Because he said the two things we didn't have, we never had any food, never had any gasoline. So I went on the country store, so I had my own food, my own gasoline. So we owned a country store in middle of Odessa, Texas, and then had a bar in it. And he stayed drunk. He made money. He's drunk. My auntie married him. And she, they loved each other. He never abused. I don't think, I don't know if he went to heaven. I'll find out one day. I don't know. But she had a lot of plastic surgery because she liked looking good. Auntie, she is fun to be around, just wild as a hoot, you know, come that big old family. And I remember I went to do the funeral. I was coming here on Sunday. I had to go down there to do her funeral on, on Saturday. So I flew to Dallas, got a, got a long layover, got another plane on another, I had to fly to Mid-Odessa, rent a car, went to, got me a Motel 6, just someplace, changed clothes, and cleaned up, go out to the funeral. When I got to, I said, well, what, what are we doing? I said, well, I'm the speaker. I'm, I'm speaking. Well, oh, no, you're in charge. No, I'm the speaker. I'm, I'm speaking. It's my aunt. I'm here. Well, no, they said you're in charge of the funeral. Who, who's singing? What are they singing? I said, I don't know. I don't sing. And I realized I was in charge. And, of course, the Masonic Lodge was carrying the casket. The Eastern Star had some stuff they were going to do. It's like, I didn't know who they are. What do they do? Well, they have a program they put on. All right. Well, who's singing? Well, not me. We need somebody to sing. Anybody know Amazing Grace? So the assistant funeral director knew Amazing Grace. When you go sing that acapella, you sing Amazing Grace? What do you Eastern Star people do? Well, we got little cards and colors and flowers. Okay, well, when do you want to do that after Amazing Grace? Okay, line up and do that then. And, and, and I just put the funeral together real quick. And then we went out and, and did the graveside service, and I didn't know we were doing that. I got to catch a plane. I thought, man, we better hurry this up. 
And so we got out there and did the graveside service. And my aunt, I remember when I looked in the casket, my aunt, her daughter next to her looked like Methuselah's mother. I mean, her daughter was old and crinkled and wrinkled. That was her daughter. Aunt T looked like a 35-year-old movie star. She didn't have a wrinkle on her face, but it was tight. I said, my God, that bottle never deteriorate. That bottle looked like that a thousand years from now. That's all plastic. She did look good. Anyhow, we got out there to the graveside service, and, and then, of course, I'm the preacher. So everybody said, hey, hey, Joe, Joe, you mind talking to your cousin over here? Said, and he's been through a hard time with his wife and stuff, and, and he's just all messed up. He needs somebody to talk to. Sure, be great. Put him in the car, and I'll let him ride over to the, where we're going to do the dinner at Uncle Willie's country store, beer joint, and gas station. And uh, <laughs> it's where we went. I'm not making this up. It's where we went. I sit out in the car, and he's sitting there with me, and I'm talking to him. And he, he, he doesn't know Jesus, but he knows he needs God. He's been through a horrible time with his family. So we're just talking. They brought our plates to us. It's hot. And so we roll down the windows. We're eating our barbecue, sitting in the rental car. And I'm talking to him. I think, I really do. I got to go. And then all of a sudden, he, and I realized, he's not saved. I said, and I just said, because I, and I, I wish I could make the spirit start, because I'm in a hurry. I said, you saved? No. You want to get saved? No, you know Jesus? Go to heaven? I'm praying with you right now. And he did, man. He just wept, and I held his hand. And we prayed, and he accepted Jesus. And then he began to open up. It was like his, his life changed even in the car. We're talking, and I realized, Oh, my goodness, i got to catch a plane. I said, I love you. i got to go. I'll call you later. And I got him out. Well, I took off to the airport. I forgot that my luggage is at the Motel 6. <laughs> I got to the airport, and I was lost because it's Texas. There's nothing out there. There's no markers. It's just flattened sand. So I finally, and I realized, oh, my goodness, i got to go to Motel 6. How long? Are oh, man, I've got 20 minutes. So anyhow, I came back. My plane was taking off when I came back, and that was the only plane. And I thought, oh, my goodness. So I go in, and I'm sitting down. And I'm talking about eternity now. I'm, I'm sticking with my subjects. Listen to me. I go in, I call my wife. said, I've missed my plane. There's no other plane. i got to be here the next morning to minister. This is years ago. She said, how are you going to get that? I don't know. I, find me a flight. I, I, I don't I, know. This is before cell phones. I, find something. And, and, and she said, you missed your, because I'm bad about being late. You missed your plane? You missed it. And so we're yelling. I've just been to a funeral, buried my aunt that looked like a 35-year-old. I got, got a cousin saved I didn't even know. I had a little bit of barbecue, and I missed my plane. And we're mad, and we just hung up with each other twice. And then after I hung up, I realized, well, dear God, that won't help. i got to call her back. You know? And she got mad and hung up. Yeah, call her back. You know? So finally, she worked it out. She said, well, I'll call the company. I'll get you a one-way rental. I said, well, they're closed. I said, just keep the car. Will they, will they arrest me? I don't know. Keep the car. We'll call somebody and take it to Dallas. There's a flight leaving Dallas morning at 530. They'll get you to Nashville about 915. Somebody will pick you up and drive you real fast over to the church service. And that's what happened. So I drove five hours all night to get to Dallas. Dug myself in. I'm nasty. I've been at the funeral. I got the same clothes on. I got here and I ironed my clothes in your kitchen back here on that stainless steel table. <laughs> Praise the worship's going on. I washed my face real quick. I walked right in after the last song, came up here, and believe it or not, five people gave their heart to Jesus that morning. I don't even know what I said. <laughs> but God did something great that day because God always knows where you're at. We're all here on purpose. Our job's to solve problems. We're salt and we're light. We're not living in a perfect world. We're here to fix stuff in a messed up world. It's what we do. But I think you don't understand this. This has six things in it. Number one is sin. Sin's going to kill you. Sin will kill you. I did a great teaching one time. Denise and I were talking driving here yesterday. So I did a teaching one time. I haven't done it in years. called Teaching Your Children to Hate Sin. And it's real carnal because sin will cost you money, cost you fame, cost you honor, cost you cash. It costs you sanity. It's like, you want to live good and have a nice time? Don't sin. Sin's been judged. It has death attached to it. It will kill you socially physically, mentally, and spiritually. Don't sin. But if you don't know what sin is, you'll do it. That's why you have to read your Bible so you know what's right and not right. So let's back. Can we keep backing up? Go read your Bible. 
So we talked about sin. Sins kill mankind. But we've been redeemed. Jesus has forgiven us. So that's why we get to repent every day, forgive every day. After that salvation, you've been saved from what? Everything. Jesus has redeemed you from the curse of the law that was poverty, sickness, and death. How do you know that? There are third things the Word of God. If you don't know what the Bible says, you can't believe it. So I'm going to cut to what the Word of God says about your salvation. We're going to talk about hell because if you don't get saved, you're going there. I've told my kids the two most important things in life are going to heaven and making money. That is the two most important things in life. Outside that, nothing's really that important. Number one, if you don't know you're going to heaven, that means you don't know Jesus. That means you're going to go to hell and nobody's going to remember your name. Everything you did is going to burn up. This planet will burn up one day and they're not going to remember you. You lived your life for nothing. How sad would that be? Number two, making money because whatever God asks you to do is going to cost you something. If you don't steward what you got, you don't get more of anything else. You need to start stewarding something. We talked about heaven. Heaven's a real place. Hell's a real place. There are levels of reward in heaven. All the mansions in heaven are not the same size. It is not a communistic, socialistic society. There's not a subdivision where all the houses look the same in heaven. Did you know that? There are levels of reward in heaven. There are levels of hell. We'll just touch on it here some more. It's in here. And then we talk about judgment. Everybody's going to get judged. When I get to heaven, I'm going to give an account for every idle, every idle deed, every idle word, and every idle thought. So I told my kids, whatever you're doing today, whatever you think today is, today's not forever. Forever's forever, and you're going there. Eventually, if Jesus tarries, you grow old, which you should, you're going to go to heaven. One day, this body's going to get old, crinkle, wrinkle, sag, drag, and your knee's going to pop. You won't be able to gum your oatmeal because your teeth are gone. This body will wear out. It will drop off. The minute this body drops off, if you're saved, you will immediately go to be in the presence of God. The day this body drops off, if you don't know Jesus, the death angel will take you immediately and carry you into hell. The angel called Hades will escort you into your level in hell, and you will remain there forever until hell is cast into the lake of fire with the devil and the angels. Not a good thought. So what we want to do is do what's right today. Can't control them. I want to do what's right today. Everybody came here this morning with something different. Whatever you're going through, God already knows it. God doesn't want you to hurt, suffer, be without, lack, have insanity, be sick, have a bad... He didn't want you to be afraid. God loves you. But he will not do what you don't ask him for. He says, you have not because you ask not. Reading the Bible is important because it lets me know what he's already promised me that I can ask him for. 1 John 5, if I ask God anything that I know is according to his will, then I know he hears me. If I know he hears me, I know I have what I just asked from him. That means you just stay in a state of thanksgiving. You don't have to see it. I've already asked him. It's mine. I'm just thanking him for it. And then it's going to show up because God can't lie. Let's look at this. First Corinthians. We'll run you through about seven scriptures here. This is the closing. It's real, real slick. First Corinthians. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, uh, second edition. I like this. Now, I'm going to give you here what I gave my children to let them know about eternity. Eternity's real. You're going there whether you want to or not. Well, I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. Well, you're going one place or the other. There is no option. There is no option. The minute you're conceived, you're destined to live forever somewhere because your spirit came from God. Your flesh will go back to the dust it came from, but your spirit's going to live forever and your soul with you someplace. Where's that going to be? You get to choose. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. I'm going to jump in with this. This is a great place to start. It says, Paul writing the church at Corinth, he says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, which is Jesus Christ. What's he talking about? Well, he's about talking about building something, building a life. He goes on to verse 12. It says, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. He may use gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, everybody, 
Say everybody. Say it again. Say it again. Everybody's going to be going to judgment day. Everybody. Everybody gets judged. There's good judgment. There's bad judgment. God will judge everything. Everything gets judged. Some men's sins are dealt with in this lifetime. Some men's sins follow them into the next life, but everybody gets judged. That's why we the righteous. I love something. People say, I don't go to church. Full of hypocrites. It's full of humans. It's full of humans who have flesh. And every day they get to repent and forgive because they still mess up and they still sin. They're growing in God's grace and knowledge. They're not perfect yet. They're just growing in perfection. You understand that? It got awful quiet. See, people think people go to church are holy and right. No, they're not. They got flesh. And I guarantee they've sinned somewhere today. They've already sinned this morning about 12 times. That's why the Bible says the righteous fall seven times a day and they get back up. We're not known as the perfect people. We're known as the getting back up people. Well, that's good. It says this, but on that judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. He said, when I get to heaven, because I'm a believer, Jesus Christ is my Savior and my Lord. When I die, I leave this body, I immediately go to be in the presence of God. Before Jesus came, went into hell, and emptied paradise, there were only two places you could go when you died. It was in the belly of the earth, a place called Sheol. Sheol had two compartments, paradise on one side, Hades on the other. They could see each other. You knew each other. You could wave at each other. Who's that? Those are the bad people. That's got worms, maggot, it's hot, and their tongues roll up. What's on this side? It's air conditioned. We've got iced tea. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, we're comforted. We have rest and peace. But you could wave. Hey, hey. When you got to paradise or hell, you knew everybody. You forgot nothing. You knew everyone. Let's read you this out of Isaiah 14. I don't have time to do all this. It's in the seminar, but just, just throw you some stuff to kind of help you think. When you go to heaven and hell, you don't forget nothing. You're going to remember your first grade teacher's name, your dog's name, your mama's name. You don't forget anything. Isaiah 14. This is real fascinating. These, uh, there's a conversation here going on between the kings of Babylon who have died and gone to hell and the Pharaoh of Egypt who's now died and gone to hell. And they're talking to each other as Pharaoh comes into hell. They're having a conversation. It says this in Isaiah 14. I'm going to jump in here. Oh, verse 9. In the place of the dead, there is excitement over your arrival. The kings of Babylon told Pharaoh, we've been excited about you coming. We knew you were coming to hell. We've been excited about this. They even knew that they're coming. They're not living right. Hell's excited. They're going after them. The devil's trying to steal everybody by blinding the minds of men. That's why you have to pray for the lost. Father, I give you permission to take blindness off their minds. Enlighten the eyes of the understanding. Draw them out of your goodness. Send labors across the path. Teach them to fear you. People don't get saved because they get smart. They get saved because somebody prays for them. Do you understand that? Nobody just gets, I think I'll get saved today. No, you don't. You're blinded by the devil. Unless somebody stands in the gap and intervenes, you will never get saved. Do you understand how important it is what the church does? Why prayer is so important? Pray always, with all manner of prayer, for everybody, without ceasing. It's throughout the New Testament. Man, pound, pound, get those people because the devil's got them blinded. Jesus, you know, Jesus repented for people that wouldn't repent for themselves when he was on the cross. Those people are killing him. And he said, Father, forgive them. Forgive who? These people are killing me. Well, they didn't repent. No, they're too blinded to repent. They're just living for the devil, doing the devil's work. Yet Jesus prayed for the people killing him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The devil's got them blinded. But I'm going to, about, I'm going to go into hell, preach to the captains, bring them out, and then I'm going to provide salvation for them. And many of them did get saved. 
So they've been excited about your coming. Look at this. Look at the conversation. Look what they've been thinking. The spirits of the world, leaders, and mighty kings, long dead, stand up to see you. There have been many people who are great in life, powerful in life, ruthless in life, thought they were somebody. I'm bad. I'm bad. I'm somebody. And all of a sudden, you drop that body. Be a welcome to hell. You nobody here. You just thought you were somebody. I'm big. I'm bad. I got it going on. Well, there is eternity coming. Kumbaya. They stand at the sea with one voice. They all cry out, now you are as weak as we are. Yeah, you thought you were bad, didn't you? Thought you were big and famous and untouched but lived forever and wealthy. Well, welcome to where the real life is. Look what it says here. It says, they stand up. It said, you're as weak as we are. Your might and your power were buried with you. The sound of the harp and your palace has ceased. Now maggots are your sheets and worms are your bed. And this everybody said, praise the Lord. <laughs> Where the worm dieth not. Hell's real. There are people there right now. Hell wasn't created for people, but they chose to go there because they would not receive the salvation that Jesus bought for them. Everybody gets to choose. Life, death, blessing, or cursing. I told my kids, I love you. I'm glad you made me proud. Our kids have made us so proud this year. Listen, there's always stuff to overcome. We've been praying. I don't think we've ever prayed as much as we've prayed this year as a family for mostly carnal stuff. And I've got to stop using that word. Dr. S. This is my friend, teaches at Oral University. Joe, that's, a, that's wrong. It's spiritual what you're doing. The Bible says this to men and women of God, take heed to yourself and then the flock of God. If you don't believe God for you, you will not believe for a missionary in China. You're a liar. If you're not believing for you and your family, you're not believing for somebody else. You're a liar. Take heed to yourself, then the flock. Take heed. You believe for you and your kids, your sanity, your wealth, your health, your sanity. Well, if you're not believing for you, you're not using your faith for yourself, you're not using for somebody else. You don't, even, you don't even believe for yourself. And so what he said this, we started praying this year, and I realized something. We've had opportunities. We believe for increase. Last year was a, you know, things were kind of tight, election year and economy and so forth. And so you either whine about it, cry about it, or start believing God for other opportunities. So we prayed every once a week, God, we're looking for increase. We need to increase our income. In all six of my kids' lives, in our life, we're looking for scholarships. We're looking for raises and opportunities uh, for our ministry. We're looking for opportunities to expand what we believe. We know I'm not perfect. I don't know everything, but somebody, somebody somewhere needs what I know. Not everybody needs what I know, but somebody needs what I know. And that's why we've always praised. I prayed it in the secular workplace. God, send me where I'm celebrated, not tolerated. Well, that's a good prayer. Somewhere, somebody doesn't need me, and they hate me being there. But somewhere, somebody needs the gift God put in me. I am for them, and I will help and save them. It's the same thing in the secular world. God, send my business where it's celebrated, not tolerated. And so I remember things began to open up. My oldest daughter became a college professor. I remember when I got kicked out of college. I never thought I'd have get married or have kids, let alone somebody be a college professor. But it's not as great as it is, the opportunity to go be a college professor. It's been hard work. I've told my kids, everything's hard work. You've got to work hard. Work's a four-letter word, but it's not a cuss word. You don't work, you don't eat. Work's a good thing. Proverbs is full of work. God hates lazy people. That's why I tell people, and I know it doesn't go over big in America, there's no such thing as a 40-hour work week in the Bible. Now, I remember working in secular workplace. I'm not working overtime. I don't know. I put in my, I put in my eight hours. I'm gone. Kumbaya. <laughs> You're probably going to be temporary. The Bible says that man works six days. Not five. I don't know if you know it. It's a math thing. People work six days, make more money. People work five. It's a math thing. I'm not talking about being a workaholic. I'm just telling you. Some things take work. Marriage takes work. Relationships take work. Kids take work. Man, I thought we wanted a baby. It'd make us close. We don't even see each other anymore because we've got so many kids. Did when you're single. I can't wait till I get married. 
I just can't stand being alone. I can't wait till I get married. We could be together all the time. <laughs> and then you get separate cars, separate beds, separate bed, and shut up. You shut up. I'm sidetracked. Anyhow, let's get back on. Let's get back on track. Go back to First Corinthians chapter three. Hell's a real place. There are people there. When you die and go to hell, by the way, you don't forget anything. We'll read that here in just a second. It says this. It says this guy was barely saved, though escaping through some flames. He got to stay in heaven, but he had no reward. It's like when you get to heaven, they're going to open up the book of works. The book of life is already taken care of. If nobody goes to the judgment seat of Christ unless you're saved. If I'm a Christian, I drop my body off. I am immediately in heaven in the presence of God in front of the judgment seat of Christ. Immediately. Whoop, here I am. Well, it's good to be in heaven. I'm standing in front of this big, this big desk. God's looking over the desk. He's going to open up the book of works, not the Lamb's book of life. I'm in there. I wouldn't be standing here. I ought to be at the great white throne judgment. I'll be in Hades waiting to go there, and everybody goes to the great white throne judgment going to hell. That's not a good place to be. There are different judgments, different places. I'm in front of the judgment seat of Christ to get my rewards for my life. Everything I've done for the glory of God, for the honor of God, for God or for myself, my own glory, my own honor. I'm about to be weighed. And they're going to read my life. The Bible says I will give an account of every idle deed, every idle thought, every idle action, and it's going to start being piled up. And all of a sudden, here's this guy in 1 Corinthians 3. He gets to heaven. His life's being piled up, and it's massive. My God, I've been busy. Woo, look at all that stuff I've been doing. I knew I was busy, God. Aren't you proud? I was really busy. And the problem is in that pile is wood, hay, and stubble, gold, silver, and precious stone based on what I've done. Well, this guy here, some angel comes out behind a curtain with a big glowing wand, shoots a ball of fire out of the thing, and <laughs> burns his whole pile up. And there's nothing left. And the guy's like, where's my stuff? And God says, I'm sorry, you don't have any stuff. You were a doofus. <laughs> but you are saved barely. You do get to stay. <laughs> you don't have a mansion, but you can go visit some. <laughs> you can hold the door <laughs> and some people and i'm trying to tell my children what you do here is critical you are being measured for eternity god created time for only one reason to measure our life we are being tested every day how are you going to handle this how are you going to handle this god led israel into the wilderness to test them 10 times 10 cities 10 no water bitter water no food god's trying to test them to make them trust him but they wouldn't and so they died in the wilderness so they wouldn't trust him I'm not trying to mess with you. I'm trying to get you to realize I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'd like to hang out with you. Come on. If you'll seek me, you'll find me. If you ask, I'll answer. You knock, I'll open. If you stare at me and gripe, I won't move. God does not inhabit grumbles and complaints. He inhabits thanksgiving and praises. I'm trying to get you to realize I'll not leave you. I don't care what you're looking at. I will, whatever you're going through, there's an answer for it, and I've got it. That is, unless you're mad at me, in which case I can't move. God can't move in that. You cannot get spiritually constipated. Nothing moves. mad where you at god i hate god I hate the government I hate my spouse I hate my job I hate my house I hate my car I hate the weather well you're probably going to hell not good <laughs> so go ahead and build it up now because it's coming Woo! you think you got something to drop about now you're just getting ready for the big one second corinthians chapter five look at this real quick second corinthians chapter five we'll get you out of here second corinthians five Verse 10. These are all scary scriptures. These are not on the refrigerator because they're just not good to read. Second Corinthians 5 verse 10 says this. I'm going to jump at verse 6. It says, so we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing, not by seeing. 
We are fully confident and would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from the body, our goal is to please him. Have mercy. Is that not good? Philippians 2.13, it is God who gives us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. We're being measured for eternity. Let's do it now. He goes and says this, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good we have done or the evil we have done on earth in this earthly body. Now look at Romans 14. I'm just going to run you real quick back and forth. Just listen. Let me get this on the tape. Romans 14, jump in at uh, verse 10. So why do you condemn another believer? Because here's what it's talking about. You're laying up treasures in heaven. Watch how you treat each other down here because you're going to be measured for that. How you treat your wife, how you treat your husband, how you treat your kids, how you pay your bills, how you treat your neighbor. You're going to be judged for that. God put us here to serve him. God made men for one reason. Revelation 4.11, Romans 3.23, to bring him glory. God made us for one reason, to make him look good. By choosing to serve him when it's not convenient, when it didn't look good, he said, oh, you're going to choose to love me? Because that's how it is in marriage. I love my wife. We've been married 37 years. We don't always get along. We don't always agree. I remember doing a marriage sometime one time and somebody asked me, said, you love each other this way all the time? Or they'll ask my kids, is your daddy funny all the time? And they'll say, no, dear God, come live with us. No. He's got reverse in his gears. And they say, we wish we had a father like you. Well, go ahead. You can take him. You want it? And they'll grin. Corey will tell you. Now, we have a fun home. We're a good family, but we're not perfect. And I remember sometimes I said, do you love your husband all the time? And they said, no, sometimes he drives me absolutely nuts. Just drives me nuts after years. <laughs> but he'll rub my feet at night. So I'm going to keep him. They say, you love Denise? Oh, yeah, man, we can suck the lips off each other's face. I love her. She's a passionate woman. Good cook, hugs me, encourages me. And then sometimes she drives me like, you've got to be demon-possessed. I feel like Jesus talking to Peter. I rebuke you, Satan, in Jesus' name. <laughs> really, sometimes, yeah, I mean, we can just get mad at you. But, you know, she'll laugh at my jokes, so I'm going to keep her. <laughs> the guy that's married with my daughter right now, he just got engaged. He said, I just realized something. Love's not a feeling, is it? I said, well, thank God you've arrived now, not later. No, it's not a feeling. It's a choice. Now, I love the feeling. I like the feelings of love. But you don't feel love every day. You choose to love every day. You don't feel like coming to church every time you come. Most of the time you don't feel like coming. I've done it like, you going to church? Dear God, no, I sure hate going today. My God. No, I don't want to go. But I got to preach. I got to go. <laughs> well, you think people are water walking? What, what kind of people do you think we are? We all have flesh and we choose every day to do what's right because it's right to do what's right. There's a reward for doing what's right. God honors doing what's right. Or you can do what's wrong, in which case the devil's going to camp out with friends of his. Just a thought. Anyhow. Romans uh, 14 says this, uh, verse 6, why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we all, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as sure as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me, every tongue will confess to me uh, uh, and, and give praise to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. First Peter chapter 4, Just hang with me here, You're gonna, this is going this is going to help you. Trying to let you know that eventually we're all going to give an account for some. First Peter chapter 4, jumping to verse 17. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also, if the righteous are barely saved, which is what happens in 1 Corinthians 3, what will happen to godless sinners? Well, what's going to happen to them here in Luke 16? Just give me three more scriptures. Luke 16. This is good. Most of you have read this. You've been in church any length of time, but boy, it just sounds good when you read it 
in context. Luke 16, jumping to verse 19. This is a true story. This is not a parable. This is not an allegory. This is a true story Jesus is telling. Luke 16, uh, verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen who lived each day in luxury. At his gate was a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for the scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Isn't that just a great thing to think about before you eat dinner? He said, finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul was sent to the place of the dead, Hades, hell. There he, in torment, he saw Abraham, and in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip his finger in the water and touch my tongue, for I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember, listen, you don't forget when you go to hell and you can remember your life. You remember your brothers, your sister, your dog, your teacher. That's the hell of hell is you don't, you remember how you got there, what you could have done to not get there. You know everybody. Lazarus knew Abraham. They didn't have Facebook. Who are you? Oh, you're Abraham. Hey, I've heard about you. They, when you're go, when this, when you cross over, we are known as we are known. You're going to know Amos. You're going to know Hezekiah. When you get to heaven, you'll know great, 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 great grandma Moses. We're all known. I know you. I know you. I know you. That's the wonder of, of, of eternity. He says, and here's what he said this. He said, I said, remember, during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted, but Lazarus had nothing. So now is he being torm- or comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, and I want to warn them so they don't want to come to this place of torment. Father Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man uh, replied, No, Father Abraham, if someone is sent to them from the dead... Then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. Abraham said, no, they won't listen to Moses. They won't listen to Moses and the prophets. They won't listen to even if somebody's raised from the dead. And that, you know who that was. That was Jesus. And even though Jesus has been raised from the dead, there's still people who don't believe him. Now, here's, here's the closing point. Now, listen to this. I'm going to read one more passage of Scripture and let you go. There's a word in the New Testament you need to study, and it is the word wicked. Everybody say wicked. Say it again. Wicked is not evil. Evil is doing something nasty to somebody. Wicked is doing nothing. The Bible says nothing, doing nothing is sin. Now, I don't have to, we'll go into this tonight, but I'm, I'm trying to tell my kids, listen, guys, you were put here for a reason. You're here to serve somebody. You listen to me, I'll make you the most popular kid in your high school. I'll make you the most popular kid in your youth group if you'll listen to me. Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 20, he said this, you want to be popular, you want to be somebody, you want to be somebody big and important, learn to be the servant of all. You go serve somebody, they'll write you a check, put your name on a building. They don't want you to show up and brag about who you are, where you've been, what you do. Shut up, we don't want to know you. We want to know if you can help us. Jesus saved us so we might go serve lost and dying people. You serve your spouse. You serve your children. You serve your boss. You serve. We serve. That's how we become famous is by helping other people. People that have marketing degrees know something. You've got 15 seconds or three sentences not to tell somebody who you are. You've got three sentences or 15 seconds to identify their need. Because if you can identify their need, they don't care who you are if you can meet their need. Then they will ask you about the hope that's in you, First Peter 3. And you say, it's Jesus. You don't have them a track. You meet their need. When you get married, your job is to love your spouse, not be loved. Somebody should have told me that when I got married. You know, I found somebody's going to love me the rest of their life. No, you didn't. You found somebody you're going to love the rest of your life. Now, a wedding's a funeral. They got their cards wrong on Hallmark. 
I'm so sorry, I heard you got married. Because a wedding is a funeral. It's a covenant. You can't have a covenant. Somebody dies. You get married, you don't die to yourself, then you're a living zombie. You want what? Now? You want it now? Oh, dear God. What's the matter with you? You crazy? You're just like your mother. You're just like your father. Shut up. You shut up. And that's the people we swear to live and love forever. I would love you until we die, and I just wish somebody would drop right now. The man, the rich man's in hell, and there's not one thing listed that he did wrong. He didn't murder. He didn't steal. He didn't, he didn't fornicate. What he, it's not what he did. It's what he did not do. People, you're here to do something. You live a good life when you do something. Matter of fact, Ezekiel, I'll just give you this real quick before we finish this last one. I'll throw this in. Ezekiel. Uh, I was just reading my devotional one day, and I read this, and this thing, this thing shocked me. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 16, verse um, 49. It's the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, and it does not listen to homosexuality. Ezekiel's prophesying to Israel. He said, your sins are worse than Sodom's. Your sins are worse than Sodom's. But he lists Sodom's sins, and I was shocked. What were Sodom's sins? Well, it's this right here. His prophecy was this. He said, uh, Sodom and daughters were never, Sodom and her daughters were never as wicked. Everybody say wicked. Say it again. Evil's doing something against somebody. Wicked's doing nothing. Wicked's doing nothing. He said, your sins are nothing compared to... Sodom says, uh, uh, since, uh, were never as wicked as you and your daughters. Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, laziness, refused to help the poor and the needy while they suffered outside their door. They were, Sodom says they were proud, they committed detestable sins, and I wiped them out as you have seen. Sodom's sins were that they wouldn't do nothing. They think about themselves. They're gluttonous. They're lazy. They won't lift a hand. We got poor people just like this rich man. You got, it's not what you did. It's what you did not do. And yet most people, especially in our country, I ain't doing nothing. That's not my job. Not my fault. Not my job. I didn't do it. Not my job. Not my fault. Thumb sucking. And now we're in a place politically where everybody wants somebody to do something for them. Somebody ought to give me something. For what? What did you do? You're the salt and the light. You ought to be helping somebody else. Not need somebody to help you. Oh, that went over big. Where's my check? Well, go get you one. It's going to get ugly before it gets better. It's sheep and goat time. Now I'll close to this. Look at Ezekiel. Move over two chapters, 19. This will show you. Ezekiel 19. I'll just jump in here. Um, verse 12. Again, Jesus is speaking. He said this. A nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king, then returned. Before he left, he called together ten of his servants, and divided among them ten pounds of silver, saying, Invest this for me while I am gone. But his people hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want him to be our king. We don't want him to be our king. It says, And after he was crowned king, he returned and called his servants in whom he had given the money, and he wanted to find out what their profits were. And we were sharing the first service. People say this all the time. I travel all over America. We do about 80 seminars a year across all denominational lines. I don't care what state you go to. People have the strangest feeling, thoughts about stuff, about, about giving and receiving. People think it's, it's, it's not right to give to get. You should just give because it's right to give. What kind of idiot are you? I'm not giving nothing unless I'm expecting some because I'm just like God. God didn't send his son down here to get the dogs not beat up just to show off. He was sowing his son to reap a family called a church. He was sowing to reap. Did you get that? Can you imagine? I was up in Iowa. They, there's more corn in Iowa than in the world. Iowa's nothing but corn. 
more corn than you can count. Can you imagine I get, the guys up there, his, his uncle farms 4,000 acres of corn. Can you imagine him getting up for two weeks? He plows that big old massive eight-wheel John Deere tractor. We do, I'm plowing corn, 28 tons of corn. Man, look at those rows. Two weeks. Whew, isn't that something? Man, that's beautiful. Man, yeah, you play, yeah, mate, that's good. Man, my, what, do you, how much you, what kind of harvest do you expect out of this 4,000 acres? Oh, I'm not expecting a harvest. I just do that because it's just good to do it. It's just right to sow it. I'm not expecting a harvest. That would be a sin. Just do it because it's right to sow. Well, you won't be sowing next year because they're going to get your tractor. Because <laughs> you're going to be broke. What kind of person sows without reaping? God doesn't. God expects something every time he puts something in the ground. Like, I expect increase. Matthew 25, Luke 19. Throughout the Bible, God says, if I give something, I'm looking for something back. I'm a God of stewardship. What I sow, I reap. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. I take pleasure in the prosperity of my servant. You sow, you reap. You sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. So sparing, you reap. God is a sower and a reaper. We're in his image. Don't ever say, well, I just religious. Let's just get something. Man, I put names on stuff. I put something in a bucket. I'm looking for something back. I'm, I'm using my faith. The check by itself won't get you nothing. It's the faith behind the check, by the way, not the check. Here we go. Said this, he returned and said, uh, this guy comes back to checking out their profits. The first servant reported, Master, Master, uh, I invested your money and I made ten times the original amount. Jesus is talking, it's in red. Well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant. You have been faithful with a little that I trusted you with. You will be a governor over ten cities is your reward. Guys, what I steward in this life, I get to steward in the next life. When you go to heaven, you don't sit on a cloud, you don't get wings, you don't play a harp. A friend of mine had a person die, and he said the guys came to the funeral and said he heard more stupid stuff than these from Christians. Well, I guess God took him. God didn't take anybody. You're supposed to live at least 70 years. If you die, if you die before 70, you died too early. God promised 70, 80, and 90 years. You die before then, God didn't take you. You left early. The devil took you. He's quiet. Somebody said, well, God needed another angel. God doesn't need an angel. You don't become an angel when you die. There are angels. Angels work for us. Angels serve us. We don't become one. They work for us. You don't get wings when you die. I got me some wings. You get no wings. Jesus got wings. He got no wings. He got a new body. We're going to get a new body. He don't have any wings. Good. Not forevermore. You don't become an angel. God didn't take you. You might have died early. That's why, you, that's why the promise is in there. That's why the Apache mail on the list be 47 in Arizona because nobody's told them, you're dying early. Fuck. I'm not dying now. I'm going to live and not die. With long life will I satisfy and show myself age. I left the righteous to be a ripe old age. That's why those promises are in there so you can use your faith to go get them and make them happen. They don't just land on you. Without faith, you don't please God. Without faith, you don't whip the devil. The just live by faith. Walk by faith. It's what you believe. What you believe is critical. Where you go to church is critical. Who teaches you is critical because that's your life. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Uh, Matthew 12, 34 and 35, a good man out of the good treasure will birth good things in life. An evil man will birth evil things. What you let come in is what you'll speak. It's what you'll have. Life and death on the power of the tongue. That's why Lazarus, Lazarus is in the temple worshiping God, being the priest just this time of the year. And an angel shows up and just scares the snot out of him. Luke, Luke chapter 1. Your prayer's been answered. But it didn't tell us what he prayed. It just said that an angel came from heaven to tell him his prayer had been answered. Like, whoa, my prayer's been answered. And the first thing out of his mouth is, how's that going to happen? Now, evidently, what he prayed for, he wanted a baby. His wife's never been able to have a baby. It's a dishonor. And they wanted a baby. Well, he's prayed his whole life for a baby. I, mean, I pray every day. I thank you for a baby. 
I'm believing for a baby. I'm thinking, oh, I'm her baby. Now he's old. Can't have babies. Can't make babies. Too old to make babies. Couldn't have babies when he could make babies. Can't make babies. Now he's too old. And the angel showed up and said, your prayers have been answered. God said, you're going to have, your wife will have a baby. He said, how's that going to happen? And the angel shut his mouth up. Shut up. I'll let you negate this thing. When Mary had an angel appear, you're going to have a baby. She said, she said, be it unto me according to your word. God didn't shut her mouth. Life and death in the power of the... You'll negate what God's trying to do with your negative talk in your mouth. Faith speaks, it doesn't think. Are you giving doubt on belief? Are you giving faith to God? So they shut Zechariah's mouth. That baby was born and eight days old. He couldn't talk. That's, you're not negating this. You've been believing me for it. You've been doing good up to now. You're about to go stupid. I'm going to shut your mouth up. So on the eighth day after the boy's going to be circumcised, they're going to name after the father, which is the honorable thing. His mouth was open. He said, no, no, his name's John. Man, I've been a doofus. Woo, been believing that baby for a long time. His name's going to be John. And then you ought to read Luke when the prophecy that came out of that father's mouth that's been shut for nine months was incredible what he spoke over his son. And it came to pass. Guys, if you don't get this in, you can't believe for it. You'll just be like CNN. Well, we're going broke. We'll never be able to retire. We're not going to get insurance. Everybody's going to have AIDS. Karen's going to blow us up. We're going to go down. I won't be able to do nothing. My dog's going to get sick. You know, it's going to get rabies. My mother's going to go crazy. And my tooth's going to fall out. And my blood's going to get thick. <laughs> Whose report are you going to believe? This one. He goes and he says this. Watch this now. I'm trying to, be, I'm trying to close. The chicken's getting cold. He said this. The second servant came and said, Lord, I took the money that you've given me and, and I've invested, the, the, made uh, uh, five times the amount. Well done, he said, you're going to be governor over five cities. Well, the first guy's over ten. Well, he stewarded it better. He got five because that's all he stewarded. Then he comes down to the third guy. The third servant said, uh, brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, you know, I hid your money. I kept it safe. I kept it safe, Lord. I kept it safe. I've been such a good steward. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with taking what isn't yours, harvesting what you don't have. And the wicked, everybody say wicked. The wicked, the wicked servant, this one guy who did, the wicked, you wicked servant, Jesus is speaking, you wicked servant, the king said, your own words condemn you if you knew that I am a hard man who takes what isn't mine, harvests what I didn't plant. Why didn't you at least deposit my money in the bank so at least I could have gotten some interest on it? Then, turning to the others around him, watch, he says, this is not politically correct, oh my God. Turn to the others standing around him, he said, Said the order, take the money from this man, this servant, and give it to the guy with ten. He didn't divide it. The guy with five got nothing. He's been complimented, but he didn't get nothing. He gave it to the guy with ten. Who <laughs> have mercy? He gave the guy with ten. But master, they said, he already has ten. He's got a lot. Today we are being taught by the media to hate rich people. There's not a male figure on a TV program or movie that has any honor. They're all idiots, doofuses, and sorry. Men are sorry. Men are no good. Men are lazy. They're abusive. There's not one good man being promoted anywhere except in here. So who'd want to get married to an idiot man? Men are idiots. They're sorry. Women are stupid. They won't shut up. They yap, 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 yap. Sorry, 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 sorry. Yap, 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 yap. When are we going to get more? We just don't have sex. And then after that, yep, yep, sorry, 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 I don't have sex, I don't care, whatever happens, shut up, don't touch me. Well, what happened to that? Well, because the world's trying to kill us all. And so all of a sudden, then outside hating men, we hate rich people. Rich people are evil. They're evil. That's how they got rich. All rich people are evil. We all need to be poor. Just hold hands and wear socks. Kumbaya, love. Nobody's rich anymore. We kill them all off and got all their money back. 
We're all the same. We're communists. We're socialists. We're all the same. Heaven is not the same. There will be different levels of mansions, different levels of rewards, and there's different levels on this planet. What you sow, you reap. What you don't sow, you don't reap. Lord, he already has a lot. He's already rich. Yes, the king replied. Jesus is speaking. Jesus is speaking. And to those, watch this, to those who use, watch this, those who use well what they're given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. That's what I've told my kids. You've been put here on purpose. I love you. Some of my kids are smart. Some of my kids can sing. Some of my kids can't sing. We don't let them sing in church. I got one. Don't you open your mouth in church. You say, watermelon, watermelon. Don't you? Because people will be looking at you instead of worshiping God because you cannot sing. I've got some kids that are great athletes. Some, please don't get on the court while I'm there. I'll leave because you can't bounce a ball. You can't even hold a ball. I don't even think you know what a ball is. You go sell popcorn. Be a cheerleader. But don't bounce nothing because it looks really bad. Some speak well. Some don't. Shut up. Your gift is serving. Don't talk. <laughs> go help somebody. <laughs> I hope you understand what I'm saying. Everybody's put here for a reason. Romans chapter 12, verse 6. We're all put here for a reason. We're all good at different things. Find out what it is to start serving God. You serve God by serving your fellow man with your gift. That's how you earn a living. Believe what God's word said, that he's going to open doors of opportunity for you, and you're going to be able to excel and prosper and do something and get excited about your future because eventually we're going to go to heaven and we're going to be rewarded for what we did here. If I stewarded something here, he said, you know, I'm going to put you over 10 cities. In the next life, I don't just skip over and get a cloud. If I stewarded my life here on this planet, I'll get to steward something in the thousand-year reign with Jesus. When the new heaven and new earth comes, I get to steward something in the new life. It doesn't end, people. If I'm responsible here, I'm responsible there. That's why the Bible says, watch how you talk to your spouse, how you talk to your kids, how you pray for your government. Pray for those positions of authority so you can lead a quiet, peaceful life. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Don't judge Jews. Pray for them every day. We've been told what to do that we might have a reward. We've got to start doing it. We've got it made if we do what's right. Let's stand up. We're going to pray. Everybody's heading to ever after. We're all going there. I want to get there with big rewards. Bow your heads. Father, thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free and keeps us free. Father, we are destined for a great eternity. You said our greatest days are sitting in front of us. So for today, here's what I ask you. Father, would you please forgive us? Forgive me, my wife, my family. Forgive us, Father, of any sins that we've committed against you against our fellow man, against each other, our own flesh. Wash us clean by the blood of Jesus. Forgive us as a church today, Father, of any sins that we have committed against you, our fellow man, our own flesh, or another believer. Father, wash us clean. Draw us out of your goodness. Take blindness from our minds and lighten the eyes of our understanding. Father, forgive us for complaining, for whining, and griping. We are the salt and the light of this earth. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Lord God, today, in Jesus' name, take this word about eternity burn it into our soul we're going to live somewhere forever we're going to have rewards somewhere forever let it be with you let it be in heaven let it be gold silver and precious stone don't let us get caught up sowing for wood hay and stubble lord help us to live efficient effective lives teach us to number our days that we might apply our heart into wisdom thank you for jesus father thank you that he came looking for us we weren't looking for him Thank you that he loved us, Father, and we didn't know he existed. Thank you for your grace and your mercy on our life and on our future. We repent of our past. We put it under the blood of Jesus. We will no longer dwell on things that do not produce in our life. I plead the blood of Jesus over our minds and over our consciences, Father. Help us to dwell on what's good. We are excited about your future. Whatever we've lost, you're going to make the devil pay back seven times. 
You are a redeemer, God. We've not lost a thing. You're going to catch us up as though we've not lost a day because of your word. It is so true. Thank you for it. Thank you for it. Thank you for a great future. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, heads bowed and eyes closed just for 60 seconds. We're going to let you go. Nobody looking for just one minute. Nobody looking for one minute. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Two questions with nobody looking. Are you here today and say, Joe, I do not know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I have never, ever asked him into my heart, but I want to do that today. God's been dealing with me. If that's you, I want to pray a 30-second prayer with you. I am not going to embarrass you in any way. I am not going to call you out. I am not going to call you forward. Men don't save men. God saves men. But I am going to ask you to do something. The Bible says those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God wants to save you. He just needs your permission. You don't save yourself. God does the saving, the forgiving, the redeeming, the restoring. He just needs your permission. So here's what we're going to do. The Bible says that God draws the unbeliever out of his goodness. God's not trying to scare you into heaven. He's trying to love you into heaven. He just needs your permission. So in just a few seconds, if that's you and you don't know you're right with God, I'd like to pray a 30-second prayer of Romans with you, and I'm going to ask you to lift your hand and put it right back down in just a moment. If that's you, and I'm going to pray for you, and God's going to save you right where you stand. Old things will pass away. All things will become new. God will make you a new creature in Christ. It's that simple. It's that simple. Or perhaps you're here today and say, Joe, I am saved, but I'm not letting Jesus be the Lord of my life. I'm not living for God today. Today I'm living under guilt and sin and condemnation. Joe, my life's not turned out like I thought, but I am ready to get serious with God, Joe. The Word has convicted me today. I'm ready to get serious with Jesus. I want what Jesus promised in John 10. I want that rich, abundant life. I may not understand it in my mind, Joe, but in my heart, I'm ready to rededicate my life. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life, my family, my future, my faith. If that's you, you can pray the exact same prayer we're going to pray with these other people. And God in heaven will forgive you every sin you have ever committed in a moment of time. Take your sins as far as the east is from the west. Put them in the depths of the sea. There'll be no record of them in heaven. And God will make the devil pay you back seven times whatever he stole from you. It'll never get easier than this. So right now with nobody looking. Say, Joe, that's me. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life for the first time ever. Would you pray that prayer with me? Or, Joe, I want to rededicate my life. I want Jesus not just to be my Savior. I want Jesus in 2009 to come to be the Lord of my life. That's you. You can pray this exact prayer. So if that's you, you need to count. Joe, Jesus, Lord of my life for the first time. Or, Joe, I want to rededicate my life. If that's you, on either count. You'd like me to pray this prayer. Would you just slip your hand up and wave it at me and put it back down? Joe, pray for me. Thank you. Thank you for your boldness. Anyone else? Thank you for your boldness right there. Thank you for your boldness. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? It will never get easier than this. All you're doing is giving God permission to save, redeem, restore, prosper, bless. He just needs your permission. Anyone else? Joe, I'm not raising my hand yet. Please include in your prayer. Thank you. Thank you for your boldness. God bless you. God loves you. Thank you. Thank you for your boldness. Anyone else? Anyone else? Joe, I'm not raising my hand yet. Quickly, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. Anyone else? Y'all not raise my hand. Please include me in prayer. Thank you. Thank you right there. All right. Hands down, heads bowed, and eyes closed. Here's what we're going to do. Those of you who raised your hands, we're going to pray with you. Everybody in this room is going to help you pray. God is about to do the two greatest miracles he can do, save souls and forgive sin. So let's all help them. Let's all say this together. Say this after me, everybody. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I do believe he is your son. He died for me, and you raised him from the dead. I ask him now, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Forgive me of my sins. I receive you by faith with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Father, these hands that went up this morning, either for the first time ever or as a reaffirmation of their faith in you, 
according to their obedience and your holy word as of right now they are forgiven cleansed blood bought born again saved children of god jesus christ is their lord the devil's not their lord anymore they are your sheep and you are their shepherd they're going to hear your voice and the voice of a stranger they will not follow proverbs 6 says you will talk to them when they sleep when they wake up and when they walk during the day they're in your hand no man can take them out we thank you for the fear of god that's come upon them we welcome them both into the family and back into the fold. And I remind you, Father, whatever the devil has stole from them, he owes back seven times. This is their jubilee day. We thank you for them in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap, would you, Pastor?